Chapter 15, The Dance We Do She and Peridot hadn't been able to talk much the night before at dinner as her parents and Pearl had dominated most of the conversation. She had noticed a change over the past eight weeks since she'd last seen her ex. Her awkward movements had been erased and she walked with a sense of confidence. When she'd removed her cap, her hair seemed less wild. Her figure had changed for the better, her hips and rear filling out her white pants perfectly. She appeared more feminine, more mature, no longer bearing the facade of a twenty-year-old, or younger. However, some things had stayed the same such as her friendly smile and her green eyes that surveyed Lapis for any changes. Now, as they took a few hours by themselves to drive out to Lapis' childhood home, they were able to talk more freely, which calmed her nerves a little. It sounds like boot camp agreed with you. It wasn't exactly easy, but I'm glad I made this decision, Peridot said. Remember when I had a weight limit at my previous job? Amarillo would crap a brick to know I weigh 125 now. She sighed wondering for a moment what had become of her previous employers. Had they stayed married? Had Neela gotten the help she obviously needed? Where? You don't look that much different. Lapis felt she probably shouldn't comment on where she'd seen a difference. It has to be mostly muscle. Do you know how many push-ups I've had to do lately? And squats? Well, yes, how did you know? Just a guess. Peridot smiled, silently pleased to know her ex had, in fact, been checking out her ass. She gazed out the window, certain that back home the roadside trees had erupted into their fall splendor that would be a mosaic of colors before her eyes. Here most of the leaves had fallen and the few that remained appeared brown and dead. She was thankful she'd leave next week for the coast as there had been a chill in the air she recognized as the kind that preceded snow. Winter was by far her least favorite season. She figured by the ocean it would likely be warmer. I like winter, Lapis said as a dead leaf tapped softly against the windshield and then floated away. There's a kind of sad beauty to the world sleeping. I prefer spring when it comes back to life. Where I used to live, near Emerald City, there was a volcano that erupted some years back and I visited that place. I saw photos of the destruction but to go there now, you'd never think such a thing happened. There were flowers, trees, wildlife, but in the distance, the mountain still had a huge crater. Peridot looked at her hands and ran her thumb over the semicolon tattoo on her wrist, her wrist she'd once thought about slitting after an event so terrible she didn't think she'd ever move on. But she had. She'd not only moved on, but she came back, like the volcanic landscape, vibrant and full of life. Lapis, if somehow this doesn't go the way you're hoping, I'm here for you. I know. So is Pearl when I can't be with you. You have a family with us. Maybe I should change my name to Lapis Larson, then. Peridot laughed nervously. That, might be a possibility in the future, but not now, they were not even close to that point now. This will not be the end of the world, it will not destroy you. You'll come back. Lapis steered the car into the driveway of a small yellow house and exhaled softly before turning the engine off. They sat there listening to the gentle pings coming from under the hood for a few moments. She reached her hand out and felt Peridot's slender fingers against her own, giving her a reassuring squeeze. They stepped out into the cold air and slowly made their way up the steps, 
Lapis using her cane to make it easier on her leg. I hate this thing. It makes me feel old. You seem to be walking fairly well. My leg is getting stronger, but stairs are still an issue. Lapis paused and took a few deep breaths before ringing the doorbell. It only took a moment before they heard soft footsteps and the door opened. Lapis' mother stood there, her long graying hair in a braid and her eyes opened in surprise before narrowing with contempt. What are you doing here? I came to see you and dad. I had hoped you might have had a change of heart. Her eyes flickered accusingly toward Peridot. I see you haven't had a change of lifestyle. Peridot and I are just friends now, but I am still gay and it's not a choice. I read about your success, and your accident. You are a disappointment. This was going exactly the way Lapis feared. She couldn't dare bring up her alcoholism, but somehow in that moment, she didn't feel she needed to drink. She didn't live her life for her parents or anyone else, she lived for herself. She was free from their guilt, from their rules, free to live her own life and give no fucks what anyone thought. I feel sad you think that, but I have people who care for me and if I'm not exactly happy now, I know I will be someday. I suppose I can assume dad doesn't want to see me either. There was a heavy pause and her mother's eyes glistened over. Your father is gone, Lapis. It's been over a year. Lapis stood there, the cold air penetrating her to the bone, her blood whooshing in her ears. First there was disbelief, then anger, anger that boiled to the point of erupting. Why didn't you tell me? Why do you think so? You aren't a part of this family anymore. He was my dad. Didn't you think I deserved to know? After you hurt us so deeply, no. All I did was fall in love. Her mother's eyes shot darts at Peridot again. Yes, I know. Goodbye, Lapis. The bang of the door slamming shut startled them both. Peridot wanted to call Lapis' mother a bitch, but that was the last thing her friend needed when she'd received such news and was hurting. She led Lapis to the car, helping her settle into the passenger side and sitting in the driver's seat herself knowing she was in a better emotional state to drive. Peridot reflected on how devastated she'd be if her father passed away and made a mental note to hug both her parents when she saw them later. Lapis, I. Grief enclosed Lapis from all around and she felt that familiar prickle in her eyes, a tightening of her throat and before she knew it, she was sobbing. Peridot leaned over and gave her a gentle hug. She let her friend cry, not moving until Lapis herself pulled away. Despite how everything ended, I have good memories of dad from my childhood. I can't believe he's gone and the last time he saw me he said he hated me. I don't have it in me to hate him, or my mom. You're a good person, Lapis. I'm sorry they couldn't see that and accept you as you are. Do you, I mean, do you think he's up there, somewhere? Peridot tried to think of an answer that could appease her friend. She knew Lapis was not particularly religious, believing in a higher power and in heaven, but little beyond that. Peridot would say her religion was science, belief in things that could be measured, felt, seen, heard and proven, or if not proven, theories heavily backed up with clear-cut facts. Any kind of afterlife, to this point, did not meet those requirements. However, there were things she knew that she could weave into exactly what Lapis needed right now. 
Science says that energy cannot simply cease to exist, it has to go somewhere. Perhaps it goes back into the universe, the universe we are all made from, back to the same dust that made the stars, planets, animals, and people. Consciousness in the brain, the thing that makes us who we are, all our memories, our thoughts and feelings, is a type of energy that cannot be destroyed. I suppose some people might call it a soul assuming it had form. Since it can't simply vanish, it has to go somewhere and I guess it wouldn't be a long shot to say it might go out there, into the universe. Maybe our loved ones live on in some form among the stars. So, yes, I think it's possible he could be up there. Lapis gazed at her, tears shimmering, and gave a sad smile. That's beautiful. Thank you. These clothes are all ugly. Amethyst made a face at the floral dress she held. Garnet laughed. They'd just left a lingerie store where Garnet had bought a matching bra and panty set now cradled in a pink bag that hung from her wrist. They didn't make cute underwear in Amethyst's size, not that she'd want anyone to see her practically naked either. That's maternity clothes for you. This one's not too bad. She held up a solid purple top to her perfectly curvy frame. Amethyst sighed. Yeah, except everything I own is purple. Because you look good in it. Her friend dangled the hanger from her finger. Okay, give it to me. They walked through the department store, which wasn't terribly crowded for a Saturday and she suspected most people were waiting a week till Black Friday to do their shopping. However, Amethyst needed something nice for her family's Thanksgiving get-together. They'd all be heading to her uncle's house and she honestly wasn't sure which uncle or if they were even blood-related because it was customary to call every older man uncle. The only one she was positive she was related to was her father's brother. She wondered if her cousin Carnelian, usually called Nellie, would be there. She figured she would, they both loved food so it wasn't like Nellie to miss a feast. Hey, what are you doing on Thanksgiving? Well, I have no family here and we don't really have the holiday where I'm from, so I offered to volunteer at a homeless shelter serving dinner. It'll be like I'm part of a large family at least for one day. Amethyst considered offering her an invitation to the celebration she'd be attending. After all, when she said, family, it really was a gathering of pretty much the entire Samoan community. At least this year, her mother probably wouldn't be trying to marry her off. Either that or she'd be trying even harder. Like her sister, she'd dated every eligible guy in their community around her age. Jasper simply hadn't liked any of them, Amethyst wanted to remain wild and free. She recalled her sister expressing concern about introducing them all to her husband, not that it was at all unheard of to marry outside the community. Of course, everyone was family and he'd been welcomed with open arms and plates of food. That had been at Easter, right after they'd been married and right before she'd lost Michael. They were not just observing the holiday but celebrating their wedding. She passed by a mannequin wearing a white dress and recalled her sister writing about telling her mother she and Bismuth had agreed to incorporate something traditional from each side. Will you teach me the wedding dance? Their mother, who had been a trained dancer and still practiced, looked at her in disbelief. Have you lost your mind? You want to learn Taluga a month before you'd have to perform it? I offered to teach you years ago and you weren't interested. I'll do whatever you say and I'll practice. You once said I had the perfect body for it. 
that's only the first piece of the puzzle. Her mother had sighed. If I think you are ready to perform in front of others, then you can do it at the Easter celebration, otherwise, you only dance it in front of your husband. Garnet's voice broke into her memories. Penny for your thoughts. They're worth a dollar at least. I guess I'm just wondering what everyone will think of my situation. I still feel like I screwed up. Your child is a blessing, she was meant to be. Amethyst placed a hand on her stomach and felt a gentle kick against her palm. How likely was it that she and the baby's father would come together for one night and create life? She tried not to think about the man she'd been with. She'd left thinking she didn't deserve someone so amazing. She'd since discovered there were things about him she hadn't known that night. Part of her wanted to rage at him and another part wanted to ask him a million questions. However, she'd never see him again, after all, no one knew who he was. Then she thought about who had been with her that night, who had begged her to come to Empire City for a double date and suddenly she was dreading Thanksgiving. Nellie knew. Later on that evening, she stood at the kitchen counter making a list of the things her mother needed to buy before making more food than they really needed to bring since everyone would contribute. I'm making my potatoes. Of course. It wouldn't be Thanksgiving without your potatoes. I'm making a list too, Ali said from the table where she sat with paper and crayons. Amethyst smiled, thankful for Ali's presence in the house again. She jumped at the chance when Bismuth said he had to go away overnight for work. She had secretly wondered if this was true, but when she went to pick up Ali after she and Garnet had finished shopping, her brother-in-law had been in his uniform ready to go. She was slightly disappointed, but also she wasn't sure exactly how Jasper would feel about him dating if she were still alive. Well, if she were still alive, she'd likely kill him for dating other women, but she wasn't and they were only bound by their wedding vows until one of them died. Bismuth was only in his mid-thirties, wasn't it natural for him to want to move on, to share his life with someone again? Amethyst looked at her niece again. What did this mean for Ali? Surely she'd still be a part of the family, surely they'd still see her. She sat down at the table. What list are you making? My Christmas list. Ali, it's not even December yet. Aunt Ames, the little girl said seriously. Santa has to make toys for all the children in the world. I need to give him time. This is a pretty long list. Amethyst laughed. Is it now? She peeked at the list. Well, I'm pretty sure he's not bringing you a pony unless it's pastel and made of plastic. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Allie quickly wrote down, rainbow dash toy with lit up cutie mark. L-I-G-H-T, Amethyst corrected. Allie paused and sat up straight. I forgot to ask if she's a good speller. Who? Dad took me to a cafe and let me order hot chocolate and meet his friend. So, Allie had met this mystery woman. Does she like hot chocolate too? She likes coffee. It smells nice but it tastes gross. Is she pretty? Yes and her voice is pretty too. She has long nails and she said she likes baking. What's her name? Allie's eyebrows scrunched together as she thought for a moment. I think it was Janet. That's a good, sensible name, Amethyst's mom commented. Tell me about it. Allie exclaimed. 
Dad's sisters all have weird names and I have to learn them before we go to Texas next month. This was the first Amethyst had heard of this. Wait, is he taking you there for Christmas? Yeah and I told him I wanted to stay here, but he bought plane tickets already. Allie had never been on a plane, she'd never traveled outside the confines of her comfortable little world. Amethyst supposed she did need to visit the other side of her family sometime. Well, it'll be an adventure. I wanted to see you open the present I made you, she told Amethyst, her voice tinged with disappointment. Amethyst was let down too, but they had been with Allie every Christmas since she was born. It was probably time to share her with the grandparents she didn't remember and the aunts she'd never met. I'll have someone record me opening it so you can see it. I think you'll have fun with your aunts. I have cousins too, two of them and they're close to my age. That's good. Someone for you to play with. Even though she understood it, she was going to give Bismuth an earful for not telling her, or at least her parents, before making this decision. Back it up, Ames, she told herself. Ali is his kid, after all. After her niece had gone to bed, she sat down in the living room while her mother scoured ads to see if anything on her shopping list was on sale. Her father was reading a book and asked Amethyst how it was going with the publishing company. Good, she replied. They should have a final draft for me after the holiday and if it looks good it'll go to publication. I'm thinking of giving the money to Allie for college. It's expensive now, I can't imagine what it'll be when she's ready. It's a nice thought, Ames, but frankly, you need the money more than Allie. She'll be able to use her father's GI Bill and Jasper had life insurance, all of which went to her daughter. It'll at least get her through some college and if she has to pay back a loan, well, a little struggle never hurt anyone, her father said. You have your own daughter to think about. That was true, however, Amethyst wasn't sure she felt right about taking money for Jasper's memoirs when she hadn't done much of any actual writing. The advance she'd received was still sitting in her bank account, untouched. I just want to say, Amethyst, I'm proud of you, her mother told her. Amethyst gave a quick laugh. For what? For making a good choice regarding the baby. It shows maturity owning up to your mistakes and deciding on, well, life. Uh, I'd be a liar if I said I didn't consider the alternative. Considered, but didn't go through with it. You didn't take the easy way out. Who said that option is easy? From what I read in Jasper's diaries, she felt guilty about it for a long time and she didn't screw up like I did. Her mother folded the ad she held and looked square at Amethyst. What happened to her wasn't her fault, but the baby didn't choose how it was conceived. I thought I raised her better than that. You read the same journal I did, Amethyst shot back. She couldn't admit to herself what had happened, much less deal with a pregnancy from it. You would have had her go through with it. Would you have raised her child? Because I guarantee she would want nothing to do with it. As much as I'd hate a family member to be out in the world somewhere, she could have given it up for adoption. And I don't see the point of this conversation, her father interjected. What's done is done. But, for the record, I only wish Jasper had told us so we could have been there for her and I would have supported her no matter her choice, just as I support Amethyst. Amethyst rubbed her belly, 
the baby wasn't moving, probably sleeping as she usually tended to do in the evenings. Hopefully that would continue after she was born. She recalled the words from her sister's journal chronicling her time in the prison. I took a moment to reflect on the fact that I was carrying life inside. It was both weird and amazing at the same time. I was going to have to work very hard to get my figure back after I had this baby, but I would have her. I would give her a good, strong name and raise her in a place where she could do whatever she dreamed. She was going to keep the second one. I know, shame she lost him, her mother said, opening another ad. She hadn't shared the captured journal with her parents, nor had she given them the subsequent journals where Akram's name came up a few times, to avoid answering questions. They had no idea Jasper had been pregnant with her second child, a child she had planned on keeping. It was in later journals, after much therapy, she'd agreed that what Akram did to her had been a form of rape. He asked me every night, she'd written. And I said yes because he made it clear there was no other acceptable answer. It was part of his mind games, making me believe I was giving consent, but it was dubious at best, coerced from me with threats of violence. He was a monster. I can't believe I thought I loved him. You don't know but she got pregnant when she was a prisoner, not by choice, and she had planned to keep that baby. How do you know this? There's a journal I found where she wrote about it, the things they did, they were horrible. I don't blame her for not talking about it. Why wouldn't you give us this journal or tell us before now? Amethyst, of course, had her reasons. It was hard for me to get through, I thought it would hurt you too much. A lie, but a believable one. I would like to read it. There were tears shimmering in her mother's eyes. I feel as though I hardly knew her. After she got married, I thought we were connecting, then she deployed and had Ali and then she was gone. Of course you can read it. She was hanging on to them until all edits were done and the book was ready to be published then she would give them to Bismuth. She wondered when he would let Ali read them so she would know more about her mother. Of course there was plenty of time for that and slowly, Amethyst was telling her the more appropriate stories from Jasper's life. Amethyst looked over at her mother and noticed the pain in her eyes as she shook her head and kept searching through the paper in front of her. She felt she had never known her daughter. Ali would never know her mother except through stories and pictures. And now there was this business of Bismuth dating someone, which he was keeping on the down low for some reason, but had allowed Ali to meet her. A thought dawned on Amethyst, the vows had been until death separated them. He was free to marry again and if he did, everything would change where Ali was concerned. Bismuth hated deceiving Amethyst the way he was, but he felt, at least for now, it was prudent to keep this part of his life private until he knew it was going somewhere. As soon as his sister-in-law had left with Ali, he'd hung his uniform back up in the closet. If anything happened tonight beyond having dinner, Ali didn't need to be around and Amethyst definitely didn't need to know. His girlfriend had never been to his house before. It felt weird to think of her that way when he'd once had a wife. It had started with a care package delivered to him last Christmas. It could have gone to any soldier, but had reached him, sent by a woman from the same town who wrote a letter thanking him for his service and saying that if he wanted to receive mail, she wouldn't mind a pen pal. He'd laughed, pen pals were for kids in school. Nonetheless, it wasn't as if he got a lot of mail, so during some downtime, he wrote back, 
thanking her for the care package and telling her about himself and got a response a few weeks later. Letters turned to email and emails became Skype calls. When they finally went to video chat, he hadn't expected her to be as pretty as she was. And with each video, he'd feel guilty, remembering the chats he'd shared with Jasper and how she'd blow him kisses and reach out for the camera as though to touch him from thousands of miles away. However, by the time he'd come home, he was more than ready to meet this woman in person and realized he'd seen her before. She used to run by their house every morning and Jasper had once called him out on looking at her. Hey, stop looking at Bubble but out there and pay attention to Bubble Belly in here. It was nearly August, she was almost ready to pop. I'm not, it's just the lawn. Yeah, sure. Jasper had come up behind him and covered his eyes. What color are the flowers growing in the far corner by the mailbox? Uh, yellow. She'd scoffed. Lucky guess. In retrospect, it had been a real jerk move to have been looking for a trim and fit woman while his wife was uncomfortable in her own changing body, saying more than once she felt like a whale. He'd thought she looked feminine and glowing and beautiful. He'd told her so on more than one occasion, but all she said was she didn't think she'd have any more children. Unfortunately, she'd been right. In finally meeting Bubble Butt, he had realized she was even more gorgeous than she was in video and in talking to her, found they had a lot in common. He had fallen, he had fallen hard and they'd discreetly been dating since September. Still, there was that feeling of guilt and he wasn't really sure why. Perhaps it was the reminders around the house, pictures, some of Jasper's clothes that were still hanging next to his. Her death had hit him hard, if Ali had somehow not survived, he was certain he would have hit the bottle hard or even killed himself. He'd been devastated, and angry. He never spoke it out loud but there was a part of him that had blamed Ali. He had thought if only it had been the baby and not her. He considered giving Ali to Jasper's family, then felt horrible about that. He knew in his heart Jasper could not have handled losing another child and she would want him to raise their daughter. He'd been angry at God for taking her before her time, he'd considered losing all faith. Before he could, he'd gone to talk to a chaplain. The man was very understanding and listened. Bismuth expected him to say it was all part of God's plan and, we can't know his ways. Instead, what he heard was, grief is never easy, but it's these times you should turn to him for comfort. Your wife gave you a daughter, a precious life God created from the two of you. That's a tremendous blessing to have a part of her living here with you. Watching Ali grow, seeing the way her eyes lit up the same way her mother's had when she talked about something exciting, hearing that sass in her voice at times, the no-nonsense looks he'd sometimes get when she was annoyed and her laughter when he told a joke reminded him so much of Jasper. Ali was dear to him and if anything happened to her, he'd feel the same crushing grief. Still, it had been a year before he'd gotten rid of Jasper's razor from the shower or her toothbrush from its place on the counter. Ali had been three when he'd gone through the closet and gave away most of her clothes with a few exceptions, like her uniform, the camouflage she was wearing when she came home to him, the red dress she'd always looked amazing in, the Wonder Woman costume she'd worn one Halloween. He chuckled at the memory of her saying she never remembered hearing about Wonder Woman getting together with Batman. He'd told her no man, bat or otherwise, could resist her in those star-spangled booty shorts. 
he'd kept the traditional dress she'd worn at the Easter celebration where she'd surprised him by dancing. Jasper was not one for a lot of attention and he hadn't suspected it, not even when she'd whispered for him to excuse her for, just a second. He hadn't ever pressed her for her cultural contribution to their wedding, it had never come up. His was simple, he'd wanted to jump the broom with her and he smiled every time he looked at that broom, a symbol of sweeping all the bad times behind them and starting anew, on the wall. So, he wasn't expecting her to walk out in front of everyone wearing a traditional strapless two-piece dress in an ivory color with a pattern woven into it near the fringed hem, decorated with shells near the neckline. It hugged her body, accentuating her curves. Her hair was adorned with flowers. He could see her chest rise as she took a deep breath before the beating of drums filled the room and music started. Jasper's starting movements reminded him of a tiger, moving through the jungle with grace and power. Bismuth realized she must have practiced this as each step, every refined arm movement, the gentle flow of her fingers suggesting waves, meant something. His gaze followed her as her body swayed to the music. He had never seen her look so beautiful and as the music slowed, their eyes locked and she gave an elegant bow as the last drumbeat played. The room erupted into applause, hollering and whooping. He recalled rising from his seat, approaching her and embracing his wife. Memories like that, he suspected, would stay with him forever. However, there were times it was hard to remember the smell of the shampoo she used or the sound of her voice or how it felt to hold her. With each item he'd tossed, put in storage, or given to charity, Bismuth felt he was slowly erasing her from his history. Now, he'd invited a new woman into his life. There was a side of him that was afraid, afraid these new memories might push out the old ones. However, he also knew if he didn't move on, he'd never know that kind of happiness again. For all their conversations, they'd never really discussed the proper amount of time to grieve, but he knew if it had been him, he would want her to be happy, to feel love in her life again. His girlfriend would be here soon and he decided there was one more thing to do as he made his way into the bedroom and picked up their wedding photo from the nightstand. Really, since they were both in uniform, no one would know it had been taken at their wedding, but he knew and it would be incredibly awkward having a picture of his wife by the bed where things might happen tonight. He opened the drawer to slip it inside, then noticed a small triangle of paper sticking out the back of the frame. Bismuth carefully removed the back and extracted a piece of paper with Jasper's handwriting on it. A letter, that was very Jasper. Dear Bismuth. Hopefully you'll never read this. Hopefully I'll come home safely from deployment and we'll start that family we've been talking about and raise them and see our grandkids. Then, one day fifty years from now we'll be sitting on the porch with the sun illuminating our silver hair and I'll be like, oh, shit, I wrote you a letter years ago. You know how I am about remembering stuff. Anyway, I hope we get to go on that adventure together, to have a life together. I dream already about the day I will come home to you, when I will run into your arms and hope that you never let me go. But we both know war is unpredictable and dangerous. So, if I never set foot in my homeland again, if I come home draped in a flag, I hope my last thoughts were of you because I will love you until my last breath. I expect you'll be sad, no, I expect you'll be downright depressed for a while because I know I would be if I lost you. Please don't let it destroy you, you're young yet with your life ahead of you. Grieve for as long as you need, but don't forget to live. 
after your morning period, go on vacations, like the ones we took together. Have game nights with friends, visit my family from time to time, they won't stop loving you. When I say live, I mean love too. You are a wonderful person and you deserve to love and be loved. So, when you're ready, go on a date, ten dates, a thousand. I mean, you're not going to find a woman as awesome as me, but you'll have to live with that. I'm sure you'll find someone who will love you as much as I did. When you meet her, when you realize you love her, find a safe place for this photo, for our rings, display the flag you received next to my picture, I was a part of your life, but I'm not anymore. You shouldn't forget, but you should move on. I love you so much. I will always love you, even from up here in heaven. Don't worry about me. I'll have Michael with me and we'll wait for you until we can all be together again. Love, Jasper. P.S. I put all my journals under a floorboard in my old room at my parents' house and there's one in a box in the attic, the report card box if I remember correctly. P.P.S. If I do remember this 50 years from now, Jasper you're an idiot and your parents are no longer in that house and your journals are gone. That house has been bulldozed for all you know. Way to go. Bismuth laughed and wiped away the moisture from his eyes. Only she could write a letter both humorous and heart-wrenching. There was no way he could forget. He had loved her and he always would, but love was not a well that ran dry. There was room in his life for someone special, and now he had Jasper's blessing, he no longer felt so guilty about it. He was still unsure exactly how he would tell Amethyst and her family, but he figured they had to realize this was coming at some point. They were Jasper's family, though, and he wouldn't keep her from them, but the dynamic would change a bit. He folded the letter and gently put the frame back together before placing them in the drawer and sliding it closed. The doorbell rang and Bismuth rose to answer it. She stood there, a smile on her red-stained lips. She removed her unneeded sunglasses, admiring him with those deep brown eyes that reflected a hint of violet if the light hit them right. He invited her in, then enveloped her in his arms, resting his forehead against hers as his only thoughts at that moment were of her. Bismuth took a deep breath and whispered her name. Garnet. Chapter 16, Changes. Amethyst's favorite time of day was lunch and she counted herself lucky there was a Mexican restaurant nearby that delivered. She sat across from Garnet in the office lunchroom as she happily crunched into a taco. I love Taco Tuesday. How does this differ from the other three days of the week you order from this place? Because those are Mole Monday, Torta Thursday and Fajita Friday. Garnet laughed. What about Wednesday? I don't know any Spanish words that start with W, Amethyst said with a shrug. You know, one time I dropped my sandwich in the cafeteria in high school, dramatically cried no, mi torta, and everyone assumed I was Latino for the rest of the year. I threw a sandwich once, her friend said nonchalantly. You did what? This girl in school was teasing me constantly, one day during lunch I decided I'd had enough and hurled my turkey sandwich at her. I was known as the crazy sandwich thrower until I graduated. Amethyst's eyes immediately flickered to the sandwich Garnet held in her hand. Remind me never to get on your bad side. Did you have fun watching Allie this weekend? Yeah. Amethyst couldn't actually remember telling her she was watching Allie, 
but they had discussed a variety of subjects during shopping and her memory wasn't always that great. That crazy girl wrote up a Christmas list. Have you thought about what you'll get her? I guess I'll choose from her list. To be honest, if it has to do with horses or Disney she'll probably love it. Does she like dolls? Amethyst had this conversation with Ali on her birthday when her grandmother gave her a doll. It was a beautiful doll with dark skin and curly hair but Ali looked at it, seemingly perplexed. She thanked her grandmother, but Amethyst had noticed later she still hadn't taken it out of the box. When she asked why, Ali said she didn't like dolls, but with further pressing, the truth came out. She doesn't like them because she can't find one that looks like her. They make white dolls, Asian dolls, black dolls, but none that have her exact features and skin tone, and definitely none with vitiligo. I know they have human versions of the ponies, so I might get her a rainbow dash doll. Come to think of it, I don't think Jasper ever played with dolls either. Amethyst wondered if maybe it was for the same reason. She recalled her receiving a Polynesian Barbie doll on her birthday, probably her 12th or 13th, complete with floral bra and fake grass skirt and not even bothering to hide her, what the fuck, face. She had given it to Amethyst, mumbling something about being too old for dolls, but in retrospect, the doll was clearly meant to represent Hawaii and the attempt was poor. Anyway, what did you do this weekend? Amethyst asked. Didn't you have a date or something? How did that go? It went well, was Garnet's simple answer. Did you? Amethyst raised her eyebrows suggestively. Garnet chucked. A real lady doesn't kiss and tell. You bought new underwear, Amethyst said accusingly. Sometimes people need new underwear. Agreed, but that kind was for someone to see. It was clear from the way Garnet shrugged that she was going to remain tight-lipped about any juicy details. Are you going to see him again? Yes. What does he do? Government work. Like a spy. Garnet shook her head. Why would you think he's a spy? I don't know. It's the first thing that popped into my head. What's his name? Why are you so curious? Suspicion filled Amethyst's mind. Why are you so reluctant to talk about it? Garnet began collecting the wrapper from her sandwich and empty water bottle. Not everything works out, Ames and I'd rather keep a few things private until I know if this is going to be a long-term relationship or not. That made sense, however they'd told each other a lot. Usually they were both so open about relationships and even sex. Then, Garnet was a few years older and maybe she was ready for a bit of discretion about certain areas of her life. Amethyst rubbed her stomach, only halfway through her third taco and getting full since the baby was crowding everything. Well, just be careful or you end up with one of these. I'll keep that in mind. Garnet picked up her lunch bag, then walked off leaving behind the scent of her perfume, which Amethyst couldn't help but think smelled familiar. Amethyst left work well after dark and drove straight to the strip mall where the martial arts school was located. She'd been to a few of Ali's lessons. So far, a lot of it involved her learning simple kicks and punches but recently she'd started sparring with the other kids. Most importantly, she was learning some amount of discipline, which had seeped into her regular life. She listened more attentively now and didn't run around like a whirlwind anymore. The class had already started, 
so she attempted to enter silently, but the door creaked and then slammed with a crash behind her causing everyone to look over. She felt her face grow warm as Ali yelled, Hi Aunt Ames. Still filled with embarrassment, Amethyst took a seat next to Bismuth. I can never show my face here again. He laughed quietly. It wasn't so bad. His eyes followed Ali as she approached a boy larger than her and bowed. She's doing well, she'll be ready to try for her yellow belt in January. I worry about her getting hurt. Amethyst gasped as the boy attacked and Ali dodged. Remember whose daughter she is. Bismuth smirked as Ali kicked, knocking her opponent to the mat. The boy started crying as their teacher shook his head. She'll be just fine. After the lesson was over, they walked into the chilly night air. Did you see me? Ali asked. I'm a brave warrior. You're doing very well, Bismuth told her. I'm proud of you. So, Ali told me you guys are going to Texas for Christmas, Amethyst brought up. I was waiting until after Thanksgiving to say anything, thanks Ali. You're welcome. Ali sang. Bismuth's eyes narrowed at her and Amethyst could tell he was considering conveniently losing the Moana DVD. Anyway, about Thanksgiving, I was thinking of dropping Ali off at about noon to spend the holiday with your family. What about you? You know you're always welcome. It's a bit awkward now. How so? You're still a part of the family, you know that. I've always been accepted by your family and your community and I am thankful for that, but, I've been seeing someone. Things will have to change at some point. You're spending Thanksgiving with her. Her, Ali and I will have breakfast together. Then after I drop Ali off, we're helping out at a homeless shelter and they're in need of volunteers, especially this time of year. Bismuth was doing volunteer work too. Thoughts raced in Amethyst's mind and she tried everything not to put two and two together, but it couldn't be a coincidence that the perfume she'd smelled on him was the same one Garnet often wore, and that they were both doing volunteer work on the same day. Ali had given the name Janet, but a six-year-old's memory was not exactly great. Garnet had long nails and a pretty voice and was beautiful. However, Amethyst felt slightly betrayed by her friend for not being upfront with her. I think I know who she is. You work with her. Yeah. An awkward silence filled the cold air around them and Amethyst could feel the freeze into her bones. You should probably get Allie home. I'll see you Thursday. Amethyst. I'll see you on Thursday, she reiterated before quickly walking to the car and getting in, closing the door with a slam. She picked up her phone, intending to text Garnet, but what could she say that didn't sound bitchy? She wasn't sure she'd ever really talked about Garnet to Bismuth and she wondered how they had even met and how long they'd been together. Somehow, despite the fact they were free to date whoever they wanted, she felt she could have taken the news a lot better if it had been some random woman named Janet. The idea that he had held her, kissed her, caressed her, the same way he may have done with Jasper was one that she couldn't process yet. Had they slept together? Had she bought that underwear for him to see? She didn't want to think about them sharing the same bed he had with his wife. And that Garnet apparently told him they just worked together instead of calling Amethyst her friend smacked at betrayal. She had no right to be angry, but she was. It took some driving, a little too fast, 
to realize why. She already didn't see Ali as much as she would like. She went from practically being Ali's mother to no longer having her and now Garnet might step into that role. Why shouldn't she? Garnet met all of Ali's requirements, surely Bismuth saw something in her as well. Garnet was a great person, Amethyst knew this, of course. She was unsure if Garnet would be a great mother, or if she even wanted children. They'd never really talked about it. Her steering wheel grazed her stomach and she realized she'd have to push her seat back slightly again. It was already hard to reach the pedals. Finally, she pulled into the driveway, thankful to be home. Maybe she'd take a bath, no, she wanted to eat first. Eat, bath, then sleep so she could try to be rested for work tomorrow. Sleep used to be her favorite thing, but it was getting increasingly hard to turn over, she couldn't sleep on her stomach at all and then there were the leg cramps she'd wake up with every so often. Maybe she'd call out, no, her boss was already on her case about too many missed days and she had a four-day weekend coming up where she could relax. The house was warm and the scent of something delicious hung in the air, though she knew her parents had probably already eaten. Entering the kitchen, she saw her mom sitting there with a steaming cup of tea in front of her, reading the captured journal. She turned toward Amethyst. I kept some stew on low in the crock pot for you. Thanks, mom. She filled a bowl and sat at the table. The writing seems a bit muddled, her mother commented. She jumps from one thing to the next, from loving this guy to hating him in the same breath. Amethyst stirred the food in front of her. Well, remember where she was when she wrote it. She was also writing this a few months after things happened. I talked about it with Bismuth a while ago and he said most of it couldn't be verified because she was separated from the other soldiers. They worked with the Marines to liberate the prison and from what he heard, after the army rescued their people, the Marines went in and pretty much shot all the terrorists. Good, I hope they got this asshole, this Akram, too. Amethyst was shocked to hear her normally later-like mother swear. She considered telling her how he'd met his end, but didn't want to spoil anything either. Did they really give her paint? That's a little odd. I don't know, Amethyst said with a shrug. Like I said, it's hard to verify exactly what's true and what's not. That seemed unusual to me too. Bismuth also told me this journal doesn't completely match the stories of the other soldiers, particularly the two days she claimed she spent unconscious. He said she was in a room with the other soldiers those two days and that she simply blocked it out or didn't feel like recording what happened. What did they do to her to make her want to block it out? Bismuth wouldn't tell me, but I can imagine. All he said was she denied it for a long time, insisting she'd been knocked out and finally, one day she agreed the other soldiers were right, but he still wouldn't tell me what happened to her. She must have been so scared the entire time. I'm sure she was, but she was also brave. Amethyst cleared her bowl and placed a satisfied hand on her stomach. The baby moved slightly, perhaps also enjoying the food. And if you think she's brave at this point, wait until you read the end. The pinging of her phone woke Amethyst almost an hour before she'd even get up for work. Blurry-eyed and half-asleep, she stared at the phone and read the simple text from Garnet, we should talk. Meet for coffee in an hour. Starbucks near work. Amethyst was not a fan of chain coffee, 
preferring small drive-through stands or little cafes hidden where most people wouldn't find them. Her mind struggled to think of what Garnet would want. Probably to talk about her relationship, Bismuth had probably called her the night before. Her fingers quickly typed a response, I'll be there. She slept another half hour before getting up and stumbling around to get ready. Her baby elbowed her from the inside and she watched a small bulge run across her stomach before it sank back in. Yeah, I know. I don't like being up this early either. Light snow had fallen overnight and she guided her car carefully down the darkened streets, parking at her work and walking across the street to the Starbucks. Both the warmth and the coffee smell surrounded her, welcoming and familiar. Garnet was one of the few people sitting down in a quiet corner of the restaurant, a red cup and a small container of oatmeal in front of her. Approaching, Amethyst saw her friend had bought her a drink and oatmeal as well. Amethyst was not a fan of this particular breakfast food, but she supposed it would be nourishing for the baby. I really need to think of a name, she reflected. She hung her purse on the back of the chair before sitting down. I'm guessing Bismuth talked to you. We met up last night for dinner, him, me, and Ali. I should have told you, Ames, but I wasn't sure exactly how. How did you two even meet? Amethyst took a sip of her drink, it was good but unidentifiable. What is this? A London fog, steamed milk, pearl grey tea and I told them to add a little vanilla flavoring for you. You really shouldn't drink coffee right now. Garnet took a breath and told Amethyst how her relationship with Bismuth had developed over the past year. At first I didn't want to say anything because I didn't know how things would work after he got back, but there's a definite connection. We love each other and I want to see where this goes. And Ali? I haven't spent much time with her, but she's a sweet girl. Amethyst laughed a bit. She can be a handful, though. That's okay. I imagine most kids are. Garnet paused, sipped her drink slowly, then continued. Did I ever tell you I was married before? No. Did he, I mean, are you, a widow? Garnet shook her head. He left me. Amethyst reflected on how beautiful Garnet was, not to mention kind and everything Amethyst wasn't. Well, fuck, if he left a person as wonderful as you what chance do I have? I'm sure you'll find someone. He was a jerk. We married young thinking we had plenty of time to start a family. Then, I started having problems, pain, bleeding, and my doctor just thought they were bad periods and brushed them off. By the time I went to another doctor, the cancer had spread and a hysterectomy was the only way to save my life. I went through chemotherapy, radiation, the whole shebang and the cancer went into remission. I've had no recurrence since, but when we went to a fertility specialist to see about having a child with a surrogate, he told us the treatment had fried my eggs. To hear that kind of news at 24 was devastating enough, but when your husband leaves you over it, that's an indescribable pain. When you get married and make your vows, you think you'll have that person by your side your entire life, but he wouldn't even discuss the possibility of adoption. I could love any child. And you've discussed this with Bismuth? Yes and he is open to adoption. You could love Ali and she'd finally have a mother. Garnet pulled a piece of paper from her pocket. She had a mother, I could never take her place and I'd never try. 
But, I'd be her stepmother and I'd give her all the love and affection she deserves. Bismuth told me to give this to you. He found it recently. Amethyst accepted the piece of paper and read it, immediately identifying Jasper's handwriting and her eyes skimming the words where she told Bismuth how much she loved him and gave her blessing for him to move on. It was obviously written before she even knew she was expecting and it appeared that wherever she'd hidden it, she had forgotten. Well, at least Amethyst wasn't the only forgetful one in the family. She folded the letter back up and handed it to Garnet. I suppose I have no right to be angry. I've cared for Ali as though she were mine even though in the back of my mind I knew she wasn't. I knew her father would return and maybe one day he'd want to get married. I was just concerned with what this meant for her. What it means is she will have one more person who loves her, that's all and I don't think that's a problem, rather, it's a blessing. Amethyst smiled. She sipped her tea letting the warmth settle in her. Ali was a fortunate little girl indeed and she only hoped her own daughter would have just as much love in her life. Chapter 17, No Shame Preparations for dinner started early in the morning. Amethyst, herself, was peeling and boiling up three bags of potatoes to be mashed. Her mother had already slid two pans of sweet potatoes into the oven and was mixing up a huge batch of green bean casserole. Her father's job was apparently poking his head in every so often, saying, smells great, girls, and then retreating to the living room to watch the game. There would be no shame in you helping, her mother told him after the fifth time. You want people to like the food? Trust me, I'm helping by not helping, he said, stealing a handful of fried onions. Those are for the, oh, never mind. Her mother shook her head. I finished that journal, Amethyst. I hate to admit it, but as much of a sin as it may have been, I was glad to read she drove that knife into him. He, used a metal rod, too. She shook her head as if even thinking about it was too painful. I always pressured her to be more feminine, I thought there was a certain way she should act and dress and she pushed back against me. Then it was forced on her and she still found ways to be herself. It's who she was, that's always who she was. My strong, brave, willful daughter. There's a little more in the next journal as she was still going through therapy and healing. She continued therapy for a long time before she could put it behind her. Amethyst recalled the passages where Jasper stated she had kept the knife as a reminder of what she could overcome, of how strong she was. It was still there, along with their guns, in a locked case Bismuth had built and fastened high on the wall out of the reach of little hands. She had looked at it. She had wondered if the sheath was made of real ivory and saw it had been engraved with a delicate design, as well as the handle. Amethyst hadn't expected it to be so long. It was really more of a dagger rather than a knife. This was the same weapon used to keep Jasper compliant and the one she'd used to stab Terror dead. Amethyst went to work mashing the potatoes. She smiled at the memory of Jasper chastising her cooking efforts as she stirred in sour cream and butter and added bacon and cheese. There is no way I'm eating that. Her sister had said. Amethyst had been tired of her complaining. Everyone else in their family enjoyed food with a passion, but Jasper had to keep up her figure. It was a surprise to everyone that she didn't have an eating disorder. Being that Thanksgiving was one of the few days of the year she didn't work out, she'd eat turkey breast and vegetables, maybe a small slice of pie, 
but wouldn't indulge to the point of bursting like everyone else did. She'd tell her mom that regular green beans would be healthier than the casserole. She might have some of the sweet potatoes but would gently move the marshmallows to the side of her plate with a fork. Amethyst, having enough of this on a holiday where the whole focus was eating delicious food, had scooped some potatoes up with a spoon. Taste, she commanded before pretty much shoving the spoon in Jasper's mouth. Her sister had not simply swallowed, it was clear by the way she closed her eyes and let out a deep mmm that she was savoring it. It's okay, she'd said, but when Amethyst turned, she'd heard the unmistakable sound of a spoon scraping the bowl and Jasper whispering under her breath with her mouth full of potatoes, oh my god. Every celebration after that, her sister would indulge, but made it clear she went for an extended run that morning. Bismuth later confirmed Jasper was very much a foodie, but whereas Amethyst indulged in mostly sweets and fats, her sister preferred things that were savory. If she were to treat herself, it would be with a steak and baked potato. Of course, if she ate anything sweet, it was likely to be ice cream. The doorbell broke into her thoughts and she answered, knowing who it was. Hi Bismuth, hi Allie. Aunt Ames. Allie hugged her around her belly. Hi, baby. Does she have a name? Not yet. She looked at Bismuth. Where is Garnet? In the car. I know you two talked, but she felt a little awkward coming to the door in case your parents answered. She shouldn't. They know Garnet is my friend. If you'd like to stop by for pie later, you're more than welcome. Amethyst nodded. I'd love to. It's sweet potato pie, Allie added. Garnet made it. And we had waffles this morning with. Okay, Allie, you can tell your aunt inside. It's cold out here, you'll catch your death. Bismuth kissed her on the cheek and hugged her. Be good. I'll see you later, Ames. Amethyst said goodbye and brought Allie into the house. Her niece grabbed the sleeve of her sweater and motioned with her hand for her to lean in. If Dad marries Garnet, will you still be my aunt? Yes and I'll always be here for you. She poked Allie's nose gently. Amethyst and her mother finished up the food while Allie kept her grandfather company in the living room, listening to him trying to teach her anything about football but all Amethyst heard her say was, I like the team with the horses on their helmets. Yes, but see, Allie, in this house, we root for the other team. Dad likes the ones with stars on their helmets. She smiled remembering the day Jasper had brought Bismuth over to watch the game and the way her father had eyed him wearing the opposing team's jersey. He'd cleared his throat and said, You're lucky I like you, son. Amethyst leaned in and whispered to her mom, We should buy Allie a jersey from that horse team for Christmas so Dad and Bismuth can both freak out about it. Her mom laughed then her demeanor grew serious. Amethyst, I wanted to ask you something. Jasper had Bismuth to help her when she gave birth. Have you thought about who you want there? Have you thought about trying to find the father? She shook her head. I don't even remember his name, Mom. Her heart pounded as she heard his voice saying his name in her head. Ames, I'm only going to ask you one more time. Did he? No, Mom, I'm only going to tell you one more time, no. I wasn't raped, I wasn't even drunk. Quite honestly, 
it was the best sex of my life and he was handsome and successful. I just, I'm not good enough for someone like that. What would ever give you that idea? Amethyst paused, unsure how to word it delicately, but there was no way around this one. You. You gave me that idea. I was never the perfect daughter or person. You're always on me about my weight. I care about your health. No, Jasper cared about my health, she was always encouraging me to eat better and exercise, but never said a damn word about my weight. You're always on me about it and, in a way, you're right. I should take better care of myself and I should lose weight after the baby comes. I feel it won't be enough though because no matter how much I try, I'm always going to be bigger. These boobs aren't going anywhere, that's for sure. The comments you make, it really bothers me and I feel like I'll never be good enough, for anyone. You just said Jasper was the way she was and you were on her, too. You got on her case about things she couldn't control like her height or her vitiligo. Then she found someone, a man who loved her and accepted her just as she was, she was so broken, mom, and he cared enough to help put the pieces together again, to heal her. Amethyst sniffled as hot tears ran down her cheeks. It gave me hope that men like that were out there, that maybe someday one might be interested in me. Then, I find him and we spend one fabulous night together, but I leave like a coward in the wee hours of the morning because I can hear your voice saying in my head that there's no way a guy like him could see past my size and love me for who I truly am. Amethyst. Her mother cradled her face in her hand, wiping the tears from her cheeks. I never meant to make you feel that way. Tell you what, I've put on a little weight over the years myself, so how about we start going on walks together after you have the baby? It's not as intense as any workout Jasper used to do but it's a start. I know you'll always have curves and, hey, for our people, curvy is beautiful. You are so unique and so spirited, you will find someone, I promise. Her uncle's house was teeming with people when they arrived. Amethyst told Allie to be good and then allowed her to run off with a few kids around her age. Her aunties fussed over her throughout the early afternoon, offering her food, rubbing her belly and giving unsolicited advice on pregnancy, much of which she already knew. When do we get to meet the father? One of them asked. Um, I'm not sure. Never, if she had a say in it. Amethyst would raise the baby on her own. Well, looking at the people around her, people she'd grown up with and called family, it wouldn't really be on her own. She had loved ones to help her and make sure the baby grew up with lots of aunts, uncles and cousins. A pair of hands covered her eyes. Guess who? Amethyst laughed. Nellie. She pulled the hands away, turned and gave her cousin a hug. It's been a while. Yeah, you said you'd come and visit again and I haven't seen you in like six months and, holy, what is going on with your stomach? Nellie's boyfriend stood next to her, equally as shocked. Is it? Please don't say the name out loud, Amethyst silently pleaded, noticing her mother nearby laughing with a few other women. Yes, it's his. Does he? No and he doesn't need to. He'd want to help. Amethyst averted her gaze. I don't want his money. I just want to leave him in peace. Why complicate his life? Nellie put an arm around her shoulders and led her to a quiet corner. Ames, did he? 
She was about to scream in frustration if one more person inferred this. No. You can tell me, it's okay. Tell you what? Nothing happened. Amethyst looked down at her belly. I mean obviously something happened, but not like that. Like what then? Amethyst shrugged. It was one of the best weekends of my life, but there's no way I could see him again. How would I tell my family? Look, if this is a race thing, they're not going to care. Your sister married a black guy, I'm with Marco and he's Cuban. I mean, yeah, our family comes on a bit strong, so he might be scared at first, but they'll accept him. His race isn't the problem. His faith. That might present a bigger problem, but... She couldn't. She couldn't even tell Nelly what she knew. What she knew was that it was seemingly impossible they would have ever met, much less come together the way they had, much less create life inside her. What she knew was that deep down, despite everything, they'd connected and she wanted to see him again, and she wanted to slap him. May, six months earlier. Amethyst wasn't sure about going on this date. She was good friends with Nelly, of course, but she hardly knew Marco and hadn't ever met his friend. Still, it was a chance to get dolled up and eat free food, so she'd worn this purple knee-length dress with beading around the v-neck, which dipped down low enough to show off a bit of cleavage. She'd done her makeup and stepped into a pair of gold wedges. I wish I was as beautiful as you, Nellie said. What? Shut up, you're gorgeous, Amethyst told her as they entered a fancy restaurant and saw the two young men standing there wearing suits. Her eyes were not on Marco, but on his friend who was handsome beyond belief. She was certain she'd probably seen him in an ad, he had to be a model or actor or something. His dark hair had a slight wave and some of it fell onto his forehead just above his left eye. He smiled at her, hazel eyes sparkling and gave his name as he shook her hand. It was a name she hadn't heard before but one she'd never forget. Rain it in, girl, she told herself. I'm Amy. Okay, so he was gorgeous, but he was still a stranger and for all she knew he could be a serial killer or something. Best to give her nickname until she knew him better. Have we met? You seem familiar. Amethyst shook her head. I don't think so. Heck no, she'd never forget that face. He wasn't too tall, a few inches short of six feet, she guessed and she'd never liked facial hair, but his neatly trimmed beard seemed to suit him. Oh no, she was still holding his hand. Chuckling nervously, she pulled her hand away, trying not to look at Nellie in mouth, what the heck? Why would her cousin ever think she had a chance with someone so handsome? Usually, Amethyst would have been more talkative, but for the first time ever on a date, she was nervous. It was the usual banter at first about what they did, her being a secretary was not nearly as impressive as him being a lawyer. Favorite sports team, she asked. I don't watch sports, he replied. Hallelujah. Her mind rejoiced. Wait, he could still be gay, but then why would Marco have set him up with a woman? What are your interests? I enjoy music, listening to it, I mean. Unfortunately, I have no skills as far as playing. Me either. The only thing I can play is the radio. So, what kind of music are you into? Anything, really, but it has to have a melody, none of this very loud heavy metal. 
He looked accusingly at Marco. What about you, Amy? I like R&B and rock music mostly. Of course, I have a five-year-old niece, so I'm well-versed in anything Disney's recently done. Do you have nieces or nephews? I'm an only child. Please keep talking, she silently told him. She couldn't place his accent, but it didn't matter, he had one and that was her weakness. She'd had lengthy conversations with Peridot about how her dream guy would have an Australian accent and take her on adventures through remote corners of the planet. Um, Ames, the closest you've been to anything Australian is Outback Steakhouse, Peridot told her plainly. She noticed he didn't drink, so she didn't either. She ordered something that sounded good, moderately priced for this menu and was disappointed when it arrived and was actually quite bland. He wasn't eating much either and they both asked for their food to be boxed up. Whatever Nelly and Marco had ordered must have tasted good or they were hungry enough to eat something that tasted like cardboard. Upon leaving the restaurant, Amethyst went to toss her leftovers, knowing she'd never eat them, but her date stopped her. Don't just throw it away. It might be tasteless, but it's still food. He took the box from her and later, as they were walking to the subway, he gave it to two homeless people huddled together on the street. They were going two different directions on the subway and she felt disappointment rise in her that they might never see each other again. She looked over at Nellie and Marco as they held each other and kissed their goodbye. Well, I guess. See you tomorrow, he asked. Yes, she said. I mean, my train leaves at five, but we can hang out, if that's cool. He laughed. I wouldn't have asked if it wasn't okay. I've never really seen much of Empire City. Want to give me your... Say at nine tomorrow morning. We can meet here. Sounds good. Tomorrow then. She wasn't quite sure what to do as Nellie and Marco were currently engaged in a steamy makeout session. Amethyst shook her date's hand and then pulled Nellie away from her boyfriend. Come on, not everyone needs to see you two play tonsil hockey. The next morning began one of the best days Amethyst had known. It was refreshing to see him in jeans and a casual polo shirt. They took the subway to Chinatown and ate their fill of delicious dim sum. They wandered the downtown metropolis of towering buildings and she finally got to stand in Times Square. My sister came here one year for New Year's with her husband. She said it was really crowded. There were already hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the area, so she couldn't imagine how it must have been on a holiday. They walked around Central Park, chewing over multiple subjects, finding not much in common as far as TV shows, that he liked books while Amethyst preferred fashion magazines and they both appreciated good food. Even so, they bought a cheap, late lunch from a hot dog cart and he wrinkled his nose at the sauerkraut she piled on hers. You like that stuff? It's good, she said before taking a bite. He shook his head, squirting the standard ketchup and mustard on his hot dog. It smells like old socks. My best friend lives in Emerald City and she said they put cream cheese and grilled onions on their dogs. Even that sounds better than what you're eating, he told her with a laugh. She wished there was time to do everything there was to do like take in a Broadway show or go to Coney Island but at least there was time to find the perfect spot in the city where she could see the Statue of Liberty welcoming everyone to not only the city, but the country. 
She smiled remembering Jasper posting about it on her Facebook when she finally got to go there in person. It amazed Amethyst that something so iconic that she'd read about, watched images of on TV and seen pictures of forever was real. Now, it was right there in front of her, now she could say she'd stood there and appreciated it in person. I've lived here for a while and this is the first time I've been here, he said. I was born in this state and it's my first time too. Standing there with the wind gently tousling their hair, her ears picked up the sound of his watch ticking and she was suddenly aware of the weight of her backpack with her clothes and toiletries in it. Um, what time is it? He glanced at his watch. It's 4.55. Ah man, she groaned. There's no way I'll get to the station in time. She checked the schedule on her phone. Of course the 8pm run was cancelled due to scheduled maintenance, so her next option was 5am. She might get to work slightly late and she'd have nothing clean to wear, but at least she could crash at Nellie's. I am sorry, Amy. I should have kept a better watch on the time. She snickered at the unintended pun. Watch the time. He rolled his eyes, but laughed. You're funny. I should text Nellie, even though. What is it? The words were out before she could stop them. I want to spend more time with you. He gently moved her hair from her face and tucked it behind her ear. I'd like that too. I hope this is not too far, but I have space in my apartment. Whenever he touched her hand, her hair, or simply accidentally brushed into her, electricity crackled through her entire body. Amethyst knew full well if she went to his apartment, she would not be sleeping on the couch. Was this actually a smart idea? He certainly didn't seem like a serial killer. She couldn't deny the sexual tension between them, something had drawn them to each other. That's cool. Thanks. His apartment was near the train station in an older, brick building. She found the inside cozy and welcoming, though a little small. She'd imagined him living in a condo or something, but didn't say anything. Just because he probably made a lot being a lawyer didn't mean he had to live like he was rich. In the privacy of his living room, he finally wrapped his arms around her and pressed his lips against hers. She tried to silence her mind asking how many others he'd brought up, thankful that at least he hadn't turned out to be gay. Amethyst reciprocated, her mouth working against his, dispersing some of the heat that had built up between them. She moaned as his strong hands ran along her back and into her shirt. Undressing happened quickly, in fact so did that first time, but Amethyst remembered how he'd kissed her neck making her shudder, how his hands explored her curves, appreciating her body even when she didn't. He didn't exactly have well-defined muscles, but they were there and he was trim. There was only a hint of hair on his chest, but she found it sexy, manly, she didn't mind his beard either as it was much softer than she'd imagined. She sighed afterwards, revealing the amazing experience she'd just had. Her heart was pounding, he was sweating, they still clung to each other as the sun set behind the skyscrapers and night fell. She whispered his name and he responded quietly, Amy. Perhaps she should have corrected him, but, it didn't really matter. This was one night and she'd never see him again. They held each other, saying very little. His fingers played with her hair. Purple is an interesting color. Amethyst smiled. I like it. So do I. You're an amazing person.
and for the second time that night, they gave in to their desires, Amethyst trying to banish all thoughts of not being good enough and giving in to the fantasy that maybe he could be the one. They took it slow as he found the spots to touch that made her gasp and shudder with delight and moan deeply. Usually, it would be quick and dirty, but the way he caressed her, appreciating her softness, how he kissed her made her feel cherished. They fell asleep after she set her alarm for four in the morning so she would not miss her train. Upon waking up, however, those thoughts were still there. She'd never be right for him. What would his workmates and friends say if he ever showed up at a party or event with a chubby girl who had purple hair? She got dressed in the same clothes she'd been wearing and put her hair in a ponytail before quietly slipping out of the apartment and making her way to the train station. Her heart fluttered at the thought of this amazing weekend and the fear that he'd come to the platform and she wouldn't be able to tear herself away. My name is Amethyst, she'd wanted to tell him, but hadn't. She'd arrived at work three and a half hours later, slightly late and her rumpled appearance immediately caught Garnet's attention. Walk of shame, her friend asked. She felt absolutely no shame, but somehow she wasn't sure how to bring up to Garnet that she very well might have met her soulmate and had simply left without a word, with a fake name and with no way to contact each other. Nothing shameful about having a good time, but I doubt I'll see him again. Knowing what she knew now, part of her was hoping that was true. Present day. She'd finally gotten Nellie to shut up about it and allowed herself to enjoy time with her family. However, her stomach had been in knots and she hadn't eaten much. By the time Monday rolled around, the exchange with Nellie and Marco was still fresh in her mind. She should have known this wouldn't just go away. She realized Marco had said something by a text that came through as she was eating lunch, I spoke to Marco. I think we should talk. Amethyst wanted to ignore it, but it would be wrong. She needed to be upfront about the baby and there were other things she needed to talk about with him. She'd already taken Friday off to go there for a meeting about the book, so she texted back, yes, I think we should. Friday okay. The response was immediate, I will clear my afternoon. He gave her info for a cafe that she hoped she'd be able to easily find and she sighed, tapping her phone against her hand. She was going to see him again. Her stomach flip-flopped with butterflies, no, it was the baby moving, maybe a little of both. Now she knew everything, well, maybe not, she didn't know his side of things, but it still wasn't good. Friday came all too quickly. The edits were done and the publishing company gave her a copy to look over and approve before it went to print. She also saw the mock-up of the cover art, a silhouette of a soldier saluting against a backdrop of the flag. She found it somewhat impersonal and generic, but in the end that was best. The hope was that no one would know Jasper had written it. However, as she sat at the cafe, looking over her copy and the single journal she brought with her, she wondered what questions she might get answers to today. So sorry, I am late, Amy, he said almost breathlessly as though he'd hurried to get there. She stood, her stomach clearly visible under her sweater. Amethyst took a deep breath and bit her lip. Damn it, Jasper, you never wrote down that he was this gorgeous, she thought. Of course, her sister wouldn't have thought this of him, the physically pleasing appearance of a man eight years her junior was likely the last thing on her mind at the time. My name is Amethyst. But I'm sure you know that already, 
don't you, Tobaz? 